What's up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce this rip, Rip 381 with Matthew Mazinxius here for our monetary-based quarter, quarterly update, Q3 2022. Matthew brought some new charts and new data with them specifically for the show that we'll be referencing moving forward when we do these quarterly updates. It's a pleasure, as always, to catch up with my good friend, Maddie, out of Latvia. A lot going on. Talk a lot about FTX in this one. We started the new trend of reading the top four boosts of the previous episode at the beginning. However, uh, I did leapfrog Matthew's episode with uh, 380 with Pascal Najati. So I'm going to go back and read the top four boost from episode 378, building a billion dollar payments company with Ryan Breslow at Tetsu. Give us a thousand sat boost. Trying to understand what this was about. Went to their website, no lightning, no Bitcoin integration, just credit cards, something, something, one click revolution. And why this dude is talking crypto, crypto, crypto. I understand building a Bitcoin company isn't easy, but should we instead switch into some la-di-da startup business because VCs get interested and then maybe in the future we come back to Bitcoin? Is that the way? This episode was straight up black pill, Marty. Maybe was needed. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't trying to portray Bolt as a Bitcoin company. Maybe I should have been more clear. I, I wasn't trying to mislead anybody by pretending that Bolt was a Bitcoin company. I thought Ryan's background, starting the Bitcoin group at Stanford and creating a payments company was just an interesting story in his comments on BC. Uh, at Pubara, Pubara, 500 sats, no touchy the money page. At user 342752038347195800 500 sat boost, no comment. At blockchain bug, Never heard of Bolt until today. 500 sat boost. Thank you for the boost. There's another 500 sat boost from Sats on Toast. Lots of subjects covered in this one. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Those are the top, I think I just read five by accident. Top five boosts. We'll do the top four moving forward. If you're listening via podcasting 2.0 compatible app in the value for value model, thank you. If you're getting value out of these conversations and you want to send it back, podcasting 2.0 is a great way to do that. You can download Fountain, Breeze, Podverse. There's a slew of podcasting apps that allow you to do do this, to boost the sets directly to the show, to my lightning note. It's a beautiful thing. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends at Upstream Data. Upstream Data is here to build Bitcoin-focused infrastructure for people who want to mine Bitcoin at home, off-grid, behind utilities, companies, and then on top of that, they build infrastructure specifically for oil and gas companies, upstream oil and gas companies as well. I am the proud owner of many hash huts. I own 50 kilowatt hash huts. They come obviously with a data center uh, and then a generator that's purpose built for mining with natural gas. I'm scooping up stranded wells and plugging in upstreams, incredible generators, plugging in miners to the data centers and mining Bitcoin the strand of natural gas. It's a beautiful thing. Upstream is building this type of infrastructure. So if you're in the oil and gas industry, you want to diversify some of those greedy profits into Bitcoin mining with some of your stranded gas or wasted gas. Upstream is building the infrastructure that's purpose built for you. 
Go to upstreamdata.ca, tell them that TFTC sent you. They have 50 kilowatt hash huts. I believe they have 90 kilowatt hash huts now, 180 kilowatt, 900 kilowatt. It's not only for oil and gas operators. If you're a utilities company with excess electricity, they have infrastructure for you as well. It's what they focus on, building high-quality infrastructure that doesn't go down. I can attest to it. My hash shots have been running seamlessly since I plugged them in. They also have the black box, which lets you mine at home. Use the code FREAKS for 5% off a of black box if you want to mine at home, and they can acquire ASICs for you too. So if you want all the infrastructure and the ASICs, just hand it to you on a platter, upstream data. Go to upstreamdata.ca. Check all this out. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. This, this is really driven home with their Vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig. You hold two keys, Unchained holds one. You always have control of your Bitcoin. If you have those two keys, if you're ever in a pinch and need Unchained to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum, they are there for you. This is a way, again, to eliminate single points of failure. You don't want to hold your Bitcoin on an exchange or another trusted third party. We've seen this year why that's a bad idea. A lot of people lost or they never had Bitcoin. They found out the hard way that they didn't actually have Bitcoin because they were trusting these third parties, these single points of failure. Go start, go spin up an unchained vault, eliminate those single points of failure. And then on top of that, they have their trading desk, which is just launched, which allows you to buy Bitcoin, never held on on chain. You buy Bitcoin and it goes straight into your two or three multi-sig vaults. And this week or last week, they announced estate planning services. If you're worried about where your Bitcoin's going to go after you pass, Unchained's been thinking about that problem as well. And they have a solution for you. Go to unchained.com to check all this out. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains is here to help you become a better miner. Uh, they have tools like Brains Insights, which is a dashboard. will give you all the information you need about the mining industry, the landscape, profitability calculators, hash rate, hash value, hash price, all that jazz. They have Brains Pool, formerly Slush Pool, which is the oldest Bitcoin mining pool in existence, still chugging, doing beautiful things. And most importantly, they have Brains OS Plus auto-tuning firmware, which allows you to download firmware onto compatible ASICs. And it's going to make your ASIC more efficient. It's going to help you stack more sats. And it's going to elongate the life cycle of that machine so you can mine for longer. If you have an ASIC that's compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware and you're not running it, you're an idiot. You're leaving sats on the table. In this type of price and hash rate environment, you need to be getting every edge that you can, and Brains OS Plus firmware is a significant edge. So go download it if you haven't already. Go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com, and enjoy this quarterly update with Matthew Bazinxius. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Matthew Mazinxius, of course, I told you I was tired. It's been a long morning already. I hear that it has, my friend. You, uh, you gonna manage? You gonna I'm gonna manage. Period. I'm gonna manage. You got 
data specifically created for this podcast. So yeah, I'm going to manage. I'm going to have to. I'm going to learn something new. <laughs> we'll get the hardcore charts out early. I wanted to uh, continue where we left off in our quarterly update uh, from Q2. And you asked me about price predictions, which I never give. But then we were talking about uh, running some trend line analysis, uh, which which I've done through the years on my site. But also, I, th I thought it was a good time, actually, because this is finally, you may recall, I've talked about this for like a year. Um, I'm finally getting a little uh, chart engine running here with a lot of the data that I've collected over the years. Um, you know, we got the monetary base stuff that we do every quarter, uh, which is, which is pretty good, you know, running through the 50 largest currencies, but I think it's going to be helpful to start doing, uh, start doing some YouTube, uh, or rumble. I'm not sure yet. Uh, channel, uh, videos Just do both. shortly. Yeah. Do both. Um, and, uh, and give kind of my perspective over the long the long scale of uh, a lot of these assets and liabilities are getting out of whack since the global financial crisis and uh, and beyond. So it's not going to be just Bitcoin. Um, it's going to be kind of like monetary based stuff, money supplies, economic stuff, looking at debt, looking at GDP, but maybe in a little bit different way than people are used to. So finally got this little engine built up and I wanted to give you a little uh, preview on the show here and your listeners and also um we can we can loop it into our discussions of where bitcoin's price would be uh for for any price prediction actually so 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 let's do it yeah um let's do, i i love new charts new data we're yeah, iterating yeah. on this quarterly discussion this is good to see we're not just getting stale doing Absolutely. the same old thing we're venturing Absolutely. into other areas. Price predictions, power trend explainer for Marty. What the hell am I looking at? <laughs> so there's been a lot of uh, models about Bitcoin's price over the years. Um, I posted these. These are very like simple throughout the years on my feed. Um, we all know a famous one, stock to flow. Uh, a lot of different models that have uh, maybe some worked, some failed, whatever. But without like even getting too deep into the technicals and everything like there we can do like applied statistics like i use this a lot for my my work which doesn't involve crypto at all you build models and you build a trend line it's very simple it's one variable you don't involve anything else like stock to flow nothing else you just like one thing and that is price there's one dependent variable that is price the independent variable is just time and you can take data such as price uh run uh, some coefficient calculations to find coefficients uh, that will give you the slope, the y-intercept. It's very simple. You can you can calculate trend lines from that. Four types of trend lines: linear, very basic, straight line right across the chart. Then there's four that are logarithmic. The four that uh, sorry sorry three that are logarithmic. Uh, there are um, exponential, which uh, most people know. That's kind of how the that's kind of how the uh, world works population growth interest rates uh if you look at it, you can run exponential trend lines over markets uh stock markets all the rest it, it usually works r squared are pretty high um logarithmic which mostly works for like stuff in nature 
uh, worked for Bitcoin hash rate in early years, like really high growth, like super high hockey stick at the beginning um, and then flattening out. And Bitcoin actually did that in the very early years was logarithmic, but it's like super straight up at the beginning, then levels out. This one actually fits Bitcoin the best today. It's, it's power. It's a power trend line. So there's four linear log, exponential and power and power is the best. Um, you don't Why need to power do anything the best. else. It just fits it the best. Nothing fancy, but you got to look at the data and see how it fits it. So let's check it out. Uh, without, you know, applied statistics here, right? We don't need to go full classroom. We don't need to explain how I calculate it. Just it is a power trend all right, that I'm running. Um, but it's cool because I have a couple different years through Bitcoin's price action to run. Okay, so the first one I'm going to show you is through 2010. I got this data. Um, New Liberty Standard was the best in the early days. There's there's different ones. Obviously, 2009, we know there really wasn't much data. I started mine from roughly Bitcoin Pizza Day, all right, and um, May to, May 22nd, 2010, and uh, carried it forward to today. So obviously, 2010 is pretty iffy, but you know you still have it. You can run a trend line based on, let's say, if I look only at this data stopping December 2010, which is roughly here where the mouse is, all right? And what price are we looking at for the people who are listening at home? About 30 cents, 27 cents was Bitcoin in December 2010. So if you, you go from like sub one penny, Bitcoin pizza day, I think it was 0.00025 cents, something like that, like $40 or 30 pounds roughly. I forget which number I even used in my set, but um, very, very small number, right? Per Bitcoin. Um, and then we moved to the end of December 2010. This is a really fast growth, actually, to give us 30 cents. All right, so I'm going to run this trend for you. I'm going to show you. Boom. It's like super high. And if you look at the rest of the price growth based on this trend, we sort of failed this model. Right? So Bitcoin was growing really fast on this curve, uh, but, it, but it failed. And this is a power trend again. So it's kind of the opposite of exponential. Exponential goes like this. Goes higher at the end. Power starts out higher and then it levels out, but it's not as extreme as the logarithmic. Just again, the, the little basics there. So that's the trend. That's the trend line, and we can even uh, push it out. Even though you can't see it on the chart, whether you're listening or watching, because I maxed this chart out at a million dollars per Bitcoin, uh, we can extend the trend through this little cursor here and look at it till today. I think this is actually yesterday's data. Um, Eight hundred and thirty-three million dollars of Bitcoin. <laughs> if, if Bitcoin had continued the exact same power trend that it was running in 2010, we'd be at $833 million of Bitcoin today. Obviously, we're not there. Uh, but that was the trend. All right. Now I'm going to show you the worst. So that was the best trend in Bitcoin's history, like bar none. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't quite make it there, but uh, that was the absolute most extreme fast trend. Now I'm going to show you the worst trend only looking at year ends, of course, but again, from the beginning of 2010, when price start uh, May 2010 till end of 2016, that was the worst trend, like all the price action during the uh, crypto winter. We just finished crypto winter, get to 2016. This is the worst trend. All right. So I know we're, we got listeners only here, but basically this trend line looks much better. It intersects the price much more. Uh, the R squared is 90%. That R squared, by the way, finishes it in 2016. The rest is just extended out. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it looks much better. The price is above the line. It's below the line. Currently uh, below it. Yeah, I'm going to remove 2010 just to uh, clear it up for everybody who's watching. 
Um, we can take it all the way till today. We are at, as of you know, yesterday, uh, roughly 16,900 as of yesterday. Um, the trend uh, says that we should be at 41,000. So we're under it. All right. Also, we notice here that with this trend, um, typically it, it's under a little bit longer than it's over. So uh, the numbers, I haven't run them actually, but it's probably roughly like two to one, two, two times longer. You're, you're under the trend line than, and then above it. You usually get the booms, then it might come back down. So that's the trend line. And this, this is the worst performing trend line in Bitcoin's price history. If you look at the data, you, you calculate the coefficients, you run a power trend, and you finish in December 2016, which the price is about a thousand bucks. Uh, those who might remember, it's 900 and some bucks, 960 bucks at the end of 2016. You only look at pricing data from Bitcoin Pizza Day in 2010 to 2016, you get this trend. And it's, um, it's, uh, it actually looks, you know, looks pretty good. And I'll extend this one out. Actually, I won't extend this one out yet. So, so that's, that's 2016. Now, uh, so I showed you the best, 2010, shows you the worst, literally the worst trend line that Bitcoin has ever run, uh, you know, finishing on an annual basis. It's 2016. Now I will show you the current, which takes all of the whole entire uh, data of Bitcoin. And it's going to come out as a red line. There you see it. And it's, you will notice if you're watching, it is very close to 2016's, but it is above it. So very slightly. Even with a crash or whatever that we've had, it's still above it. Uh, of course, every day this, this chart updates, right? So it gets pulled down, gets pulled down. The current trend always changes a little bit. So every day that it's below the current trend, which is again, the 2016 curve is about 40,000. Our current curve says it should be 45,000, which is the all time, all time price history action of Bitcoin. So first of all, I think it's pretty interesting that uh, it's still not below, you know, no matter what the FUD is, it's not below the worst year, which was end 2016, end of the crypto winter. Uh, that trend extended till today. And um, and also I can say, I'm going to remove 2010 here, but you look at these two, they're actually really close trend lines. I, I didn't want to plot them all, but if you plotted all the data up till year in 2020 or year in 2019 or year in 2018, they would all be very close to this. So they all kind of get stamped around this this trend line. Uh, you can, again, you can draw whatever trend line you want based on whatever time, uh, time series, like how much time you calculate the prices at, but they all start sort of get stamped around this area and we're not at a low. So that's kind of interesting. And then from here, I'm going to take out 2016 now and look at this is the trend. This is the power trend line It's 95% R squared. R squared is a little bit iffy with, with these logarithmic, uh, scales. Um, it just means that the variance, uh, of the price around the line all right, so the way the price moves up or down around the line is 95% better than if we had a line that showed the average and how the price moved around the average. So it's obviously that works much better for linear than uh, than logarithmic type scales. But R squared can, as I understand, I'm no, I'm no stats expert or quant, but they can trick people if you if you rely on it too much. But nonetheless, you also have to use your eye test in this stuff. And does it does it look pretty good through the uh, all the years of Bitcoin price? It does. So. Uh, 95% R squared, 46,000, 40, yeah, roughly 46,000 is where the trend line says Bitcoin's price should be now. Obviously, we're about 17,000. 
so we're under it. Uh, but we can still predict it. So here's where we come to the predictions. And you said at um, at the end of our last show last quarter, I checked it today actually, because uh, you asked when Bitcoin would get back to 60,000, that would be close to the British pound monetary base. Again, unless of course they're printing more, so it's a little bit higher now. Uh, Bitcoin, if it gets about $60,000, would be the size of the British uh, central, uh, the Bank of England's balance sheet, basically the pound sterling. And as far as market cap goes, and so let's let's just run this. Let's just look at it. This this chart that I made goes out to 2030. Let's see when it would hit it. You actually said, do you remember what you said? I don't. I'll tell you. But you said Q3 2024. I love how you gave me the the Q the quarter quarterly update as well. So you said Q3 2024. So let's see what the current trend line predicts. We're at 40. I'll remind the listeners we're at the trend line is about 45,000 now. If we just scroll out and see what it predicts. Uh, we're at 50,000 in January 23, 52 in March 2023, uh, May 56,000, June. We're getting pretty close. Already July 2023, the trend line, the current trend line of Bitcoin, uh, which is the best trend line you could draw, uh, predicts $60,000 Bitcoin in July 2023. It's actually a year earlier than, uh, than you thought. Um, but yeah, that's it. And then of course we can extend this even longer. You know, again, this is just, it's just math. There's nothing, there's no stock to flow. There's no weird sort of variables I'm putting in there. It's just price. We extend this out all the way to December of 2030 and the, we get about a $700,000 Bitcoin. So that's the, uh, that's the trend, uh, progression that that is the regression analysis using a power trend uh, coefficient set of variables for Bitcoin. It's about 95% R squared thus far. It looks, looks pretty good. And if you did 2016, uh, now I'll go back to the projecting for 20. If you looked at the 2016 trend out in 2030, it would project about $600,000 Bitcoin. So the worst trend Bitcoin's ever drawn would end in the year 2016, end of the crypto winter. And that even that projects a $600,000 Bitcoin in December 2030. So again, no one knows, not investment advice, fast performance doesn't equal uh, future results, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a pretty interesting asset where it hugs these uh, curves. Definitely is not 2010. Oh, this is funny, by the way. If you look at the 2010 curve, we can take it out to 2030. The price projecting $120 billion of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back on that trend line. Yeah, that, that trend line uh, it would be fun, really fun to be on, 120 billion. But uh, we, we, we're, we failed that. We pretty much failed it. You can use the eye test to see that uh, we're far away from that one. And all the rest are in between, basically. You can imagine all the other years, they're in between. But most are pretty close to the red in the, uh, the 2016 line. So, so there it is, man. Little uh, little trend line analysis for you. Just wanted to start the show off for you with that. No, I love this. I think, I mean, I've always been averse to these types of charts and price predictions, but they are helpful to help contextualize what's going on right now. And I think that's the main signal I'm taking from this is this is not the worst bear market that Bitcoin's been through 2016, 2015, 2014, 2015, beginning of 2016. Based on this, purely based on this, you can say not yet. Um, yes. Might pull it down 
that's but you're gonna have to have a, a while first because I mean we're still uh, the trend line itself is at forty six thousand so that's gonna have many many that's gonna need many many days of uh, you know low low prices to pull it down even below the twenty sixteen line so that's yeah that's one thing yeah no it is crazy how tightly this price chart is hugging the the trend lines yeah another characteristic of um so this is a power so this is a log scale all right and if it was exponential as you might know if it was exponential and i drew a trend line an exponential trend line it would be st a straight line that's just how it would look on log scale this is a power so it's still curved uh, it's curved upwards even though it's log uh but if you did lo uh log log if you made the x-axis log, this would turn into a straight line. So power trends turn into straight lines on log log. And log log just looks screwed up. And I apologize for our listeners for my bantering on these charts. But I'll make log on the bottom. So, like, <laughs> it's extremely compressed. You look at, like, January 3rd, 4th, 5th, and it's it's all the, – the timeline is messed up on my chart. But basically, you see that it's turned into log log, and it's a straight line. Mm -hmm. So that's how a power – that's how a power – Well, and that log log chart looks like we're – we're far below where the trend line is. Yeah, it does. It if does. you're eyeing a trade, it looks like a good buying opportunity. Again, not financial yeah. advice. That's a good point. I never uh, thought about it quite to look at it that way. But um, yeah, so a lot of different, I mean, obviously, infinite ways you can analyze this stuff. But uh, very simple price predictions. It's only using price. You don't have to use anything else. No other variables. Uh, the independent variables time. The single dependent variable is price. And uh, this is basically the trend line that Bitcoin follows. It's not linear. It's not log even. Log doesn't really fit it. Um, a, a log uh, trend line. It's not exponential. It's it's a power power series. And those are the four types. Hell yeah. So that's my applied stats for you. Well, it'll be fun to keep keep track of this as we as we meet quarter in and quarter yeah. out. Yeah, I forward. think it's a good one actually. I think it's a good one because I, again, I I plan on when I start up some videos showing the viewers listeners you know all of the different years that it ended just so you can see but i can tell you that it's like it's really starting to to be consistent around the trend line that we have which is interesting like the last five six seven years even uh, really only a few of the early years 2010 2011 were shooting up like kind of in the stratosphere and you know just not no 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 uh really potent no no reasonable uh, expectation that we'd, st we'd get back to that trend line. But the other ones uh, stick pretty close. $180 billion close. Bitcoin by 2030. It's not out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> we can get back. Yep. <laughs> well, to strive for. No, I think this also provides a great opportunity to dive into. I'm, that was one thing I'm really interested to get your perspective on is obviously right now, if you look at the 2016 trend line and the current trend line, we are more than 50% 50, 50 below where the trend lines, both of them sit. Uh, yeah. And obviously a lot is going on since we last met here to talk about the Q2 update. And yep. what do you, like, what's your perspective on everything that's happened with the FTX and um, Genesis, BlockFi? We're, we're finding out yeah. very hard lessons about Bitcoin's truly scarce nature and the product of not respecting that scarcity in 
applying incumbent financial product models to to a Bitcoin world doesn't seem to work. Yep. I mean, just let's hold off, I guess, on the, the base money stuff. But regarding FTX, obviously, I've, I've been paying attention a little bit this last weekend. It's been entertaining, to say the least. But um, the... I did actually launch this, uh, the base money update as the FTX saga was unfolding. So the Bitcoin price was also falling, um, but it, it's close back to where it was when I, when I posted it. But um, it is, first of all, it is still wild to see that um, after all of these years, people don't understand the difference between custody Bitcoin and sovereign Bitcoin, holding your own keys. I mean, that is the lesson and the gift that just keeps on giving. Like, I, I don't know, man. It's 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 not good to say, but like, because obviously many people just got destroyed and wrecked over this. But I mean, I'm watching this thing unfold and this just unbelievably woke asshole that's like probably had like I don't know silver spoon the the his whole life, everything given to him, and. I mean, he's just he's just destroyed so many people that didn't need to have anything happen to their savings if they just custodied Bitcoin themselves, if they just hold held their own keys. I mean, it's it's the lesson that just keeps on giving. I mean, it's it's just funny to see. I mean, watching these these. I mean, again, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. Like it is sad. I understand that, but if you're in our headspace and if you're in our sphere, like you have no need for a, a company like FTX and just so many grifters coming out of the woodwork. I mean, I don't, I'd like to get your thoughts. I haven't heard actually what you've been saying, but I mean like Kevin O'Leary, I think stuff's going to come out with him. Bill Ackman. Um, yeah. The, yeah. And like the, there's, there's a lot of deep state activity. Obviously everybody knows the whole thing with his parents, with uh, Gensler and, and the, uh, the econ professor uh, from MIT. Uh, yeah, the father-in-law, not the not the in-law, but um, Caroline's father, right? Uh, I mean, the 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 connections to be made like are so beyond, like they're so in your face. Like I don't know how anybody can call us conspiracy theorists with this stuff. I mean, it's just this is this is it's just funny. I mean, it's just so funny because it's completely avoidable. Yet these were the motherfuckers that were trying to. Create your legislation, you know, be the future of your new finance in the United States. I mean, um, it's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to see. It really is. It's like clown world on crack or on stimulants, like like the whole FTX Alameda team was on. But no, I mean, and Sam, the, I mean, I. Matt and I on rabbit hole recap, we've been going back and forth on whether this is just pure greed driven incentives that drove FTX and Alameda to take undue risk and get blown up as the interest rates got hiked at the federal reserve level and they got caught in that liquidity crunch or is there something that's, that's, I, I think Matt would agree. That's his perspective or, is there something a bit more nefarious to this in terms when you begin to piece together the different data points of the connections between SBF, his parents, Gary Gensler, Caroline, her parents, 
the Democratic Party, all this stuff. I mean, I Miss Waters. Um, yeah. Did I hear Miss Waters' uh, husband is the ambassador to Bahamas? Is that right? Yes. That 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 became apparent last week. I, I don't believe he's the ambassador anymore. However, he was former former ambassador. Um, so there's some connections down there. That, yeah. Then you had that whole instance where the Bahaman equivalent of the SEC sees their assets. They're, they're saying they seize their assets, but then like you had all this laundering of FTX's assets into like wrap Bitcoin on Ethereum. And then they were converting it to Bitcoin then sending it to a centralized mixer and it's like if the bahaman sec did seize those assets why wouldn't they just freeze them why are they doing all this cross-chain activity and taking on a lot of slippage uh throughout that activity too i think they lost 30 percent of the value of the assets just by doing all these cock and any like cross-chain rap bitcoin shit right. and eating significant losses on those on those trades and then yeah sending it to a centralized mixer not even coin joining it's all very odd and then yeah you mentioned maxine waters she came out with a tweet last week and was like hey sam it's it's been great to see you talk publicly about what's happening like it takes a lot of courage and uh we'd love to have you on capitol hill and and then you had the cftc coming out and saying this looks like a stereotypical bank run uh, probably wasn't due to undue risk. It was it was caused by a mania, <coughs> a bank run like mania. And it's like no, this is overt fraud. They were commingling user deposits fraud. and trading them on leverage. They didn't they didn't have any Bitcoin at the end of the day. They were supposed to have they had claims of up to seventy thousand. I I think greater than seventy thousand Bitcoin on the exchange and. Uh, what has come out in the wash with their balance sheet is that they had less than 10 Bitcoin on their balance sheet. It's all yeah. fucking weird. I did want to do the little, my standard soapbox, uh, you know, difference between uh, like what is really reserved Bitcoin, which is every versus everything else, which is a claim and commingled, but I'll, I'll hold myself up. We should do that a little bit later. But I mean, this whole FTX thing is, it's just so embarrassing. It's so funny to watch from afar. But again, I know so many people have gotten hurt from it. But I do feel like it's wild because it's it's absolutely a big blow up. I mean, Enron was what fifty billion, something like that. I think MF Global, um, they were a fifty billion dollar fund, but I think they the creditors were much smaller than that. I think I think most of them got most of their money actually at the end of the day. I mean, they said they lost like a billion dollars. But this one being ten billion, uh, it's big. It's absolutely big. But then you look at the rest of the system, which is corrupt and screwed up by regulations coming out of uh, you know Washington. BlackRock was freezing withdrawals, and they were limiting withdrawals to what one hundred and twenty-five billion in a property fund, mm-hmm. which is huge. Which is huge. Blackstone uh, came out last know. week too and said they're pausing redemptions on their sixty-nine billion dollar real estate fund. Oh, yeah? yeah. Oh, I didn't see that one. Okay. So, um, was that the same one? I, is that the same one I saw? No, I, I saw 125 billion. So there's BlackRock and Blackstone. Yeah. Yes. And I know BlackRock for sure was certainly scooping up yeah. a lot of real estate during the COVID 
lockdowns. Um, well, and a lot of that stuff, I mean, those guys were, they've been doing this since uh, post uh, financial crisis. I mean, this is stuff that started to be, um, you know, scooped up on the cheap, um, uh, you know, post global financial crisis, 2010, 11, 12. I'm sure a lot of that's been levered up, not able to st- sold on to new suckers, new investors, and the assets aren't able to sustain higher rates that are coming uh, for, um, for uh, uh for their for the holders and so yeah the renters that are paying they're not they're not covering uh, as much interest as the owners need to pay because those are obviously huge rental portfolios that they have but um these are big numbers i mean much bigger that than that's happening with uh, ftx so from that side the main system like is still the big boss it's corrupt um there's just so many issues there but with this, man, I mean, it's just so obvious the way that like the grifters are like kind of trying to go away. Kevin O'Leary is trying to say, you know, uh, I mean, his his talking points have just been hilarious before and after. But um, just everybody just cheering on this woke MIT. I don't know, just spoiled brat and who is totally going to ruin uh, the, the Bitcoin and and digital asset in industry trying to bring it all under his umbrella. And it was the absolute most corrupt, embarrassing, just clown world shit show that you could possibly imagine. And these were the people that were giving, you know, pointers to Capitol Hill on, on this legislation. Like it's, it's, it's unreal. Like how could this not have like a full, full review Congressional review hearings, all that stuff to try to get to the bottom of this. I mean, the money is pretty easy to find in Bitcoin land. It's pretty easy to find where it went. So, I mean, I hope, I hope people have to answer this, especially the politicians that took his, uh, what, 40 plus 40? Because he said he really did, even though he was, he was, uh, you know, seen as this Democratic kid, you know, blue blood liberal he was supposedly giving money dark to republicans in the same amount so at least 100 mil probably super PACs. yeah that was his uh his which his mother is right working on uh yeah she runs one for the democrats yeah no you know, there's so many smoking guns like how the hell was an ftx subsidiary able to purchase ledger x which is a cftc regulated clearinghouse they bought another exchange as well i believe and it's become apparent that they were running everything through alameda's bank account at silvergate like they didn't even have like segregated accounts for the two different companies he told a wall street journal reporter recently that it was at, he, he stumbled he said at least half and then the guy's like half of what so well half of you know the assets and he's like what, what, what does that mean it's like at least five billion at least five billion was customer deposits that was going directly to Alameda directly <laughs> and then credited on FTX at least 5 billion and probably much more. I mean, I, the, the stuff that he said on this tour, I couldn't bear to watch the Sorkin interview. I mean, that's like, I hate FTX or I hate FTX as BF. I hate Sorkin. I could not even bear to watch that. So I didn't, but I did listen to the, uh, the shitcoin uh, Twitter one that he did over the weekend. I guess yeah. it was, Kind of over the weekend, my time, end of the week, uh, last week. That was pretty funny. Uh, that mean, coffeezilla dude gets in and questioning him. Did you see his questions? No. This 
this guy, I don't even really know he's a YouTuber, CoffeeZilla. Yeah, I, I know, I know, um, I know CoffeeZilla. Yeah, and um, he got on, he got on on that channel. He just slid in like other DMs, said it like you know, I already asked some questions, and he was asking the best questions. It was like the worst interview possible by the other guys. Like they were just like so slow and I don't know, trying to be lawyers or whatever. And then he got on another one the next day because SBF had to leave. He, he basically left after this guy started asking him questions. And then he got on the next day on a different stream, just snuck in and started asking him more questions <laughs> to which he left, right? SBF left right after these questions. I mean, it was hilarious, but he's just squirming. He can't like when his f- feet are actually put to the fire. I'm like, you know, how could you have possibly co-mingled? you know, at least $5 billion. And where did that money go? Like, is that in congressional budgets right now? Is that in your, you know, parents' uh, massive portfolio and of pr- property around the Bahamas and everywhere else, as, a, as we all understand? Um, I mean, it's just outright fraud. It's outright fraud. Like, you know, you, you can say all you want about banking and, you know, we can talk about that later. It's hard to defend bankers these days. But look, I mean, there are assets and liabilities to match. He wasn't even matching them. I mean, he was basically just... Was, out Ponzi. He was taking the money, spending it somewhere else, and crediting you with a made-up synthetic balance on his shitty FTX exchange. That was, and I can't even understand how people. I never liked FTX. I logged in there, traded a little bit. Like it looks shitty to me. The whole interface looks shitty. Like all other exchanges that have been around for ten years look so much better. And you have to question, like, how could it be that this like rising star takes him three years to just explode onto the crypto space? All these stadiums, all the rest, like. Can it, can it, does it really work out that way? Like ever, or is it usually, you know, uh, sweat equity working hard, uh, you know, like actual, like real work that brings people, you know, success. It's usually the latter. Like there's, it's very rare that you just explode onto the scene with some natural raw wunderkind, wunderkind sort of talent that apparently this guy was just endowed with, but obviously he wasn't, or if he was, and I'm, I still think he kind of was in, in some respects with his kimchi premium trading, which apparently was pretty good. I don't even believe um, that. Well, whatever. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but whatever, if, if he made money in any legitimate way, uh, he's smart enough. He's smart enough to, uh, to fucking lose it. And, but so this defense that he say, like, I just didn't know anything is bumbling. Like, you know, first of all, it's not a defense legally. Again, I'm no lawyer here as well, but everybody knows that, Ignorance is not a defense in fraud, fraudulent criminal activity. Like you can, you can go to the court and say, "Hey, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Sorry, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to, uh, you know, just take the money and send it to politicians and spend it on houses." And he invested in like four hundred companies that were one hundred percent owned by him. Yeah, by him. I mean, they were giving it, out it like never happened. They were giving out like multi hundred million dollar loans to themselves. Yeah, that never, never would happen in any was, sort of legitimate fundraise i forget if it was you know russia and stuff but it (laughs) definitely happens in russia actually 100 i know exactly cases like that but but not not in you know supposed to be some dynastic you know amazing uh, template for the future of crypto regulation in the united states type of a firm like it's just it's so embarrassing it's so embarrassing i cannot see how this uh I cannot say that this is, you called it early. I, I saw a, a tweet from, I think it was Dylan who showed some of your early tweets, which I remember seeing you were calling out SBF like a couple of years ago about his, um, yeah, it his, just, you know, 
when you listen all, to him talk about proof of work and everything else yeah when you listen to him talk about like bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies it became obvious to me i was like you don't understand this shit. like why yeah why do people think you're a wonderkind and yeah the there's so many smoking guns like came out of nowhere this big lore with the kimchi trade which again i'm like, even if the kimchi trade was successful the the work it would take to set that trade up was setting up all the bank accounts globally like that just doesn't happen like some yeah kid of a lawyer doesn't figure like figure out a way to make that happen without help so i'm leaning towards like this is a big operation like he was put on this pedestal and in this place to i don't know if it was to create a a massive crash to allow the regulatory backlash to seem like a like a welcome occurrence or like so there's another possibility here too that cz completely just spoiled the party um by seeing the balance sheet and wrecking everything early like there's there's a reality in which I could see they, they thought this was going to go on longer. He was going to get his, uh, his templated regulation passed by Congress and take yeah. over. And then maybe w- once that was done, they'd be able to hide all the, the malfeasance behind the scenes and keep chugging along, kicking the can down the road and just create like a reg- regulatory hellscape for the rest of the industry think that's possible but yeah like when you add everything up the fact that it it was obvious to anybody who actually understands bitcoin and its competitors in the cryptocurrency space that when he was speaking about these things he didn't really understand them i mean in july 2021 he was parroting the electricity use per transaction metric which is completely bunk um (laughs) it doesn't make any sense on its face uh, the marketing to save the planet by canceling my Bitcoin transaction. Yeah, like the marketing budget, like the fact that they're able to get multiple stadiums, get all these commercials, get all these celebrities in such quick order, just stunk. I mean, I, I did call them out many times. It started in July 2021, and I I wasn't really like a FTX SBF sleuth. I wasn't like trying to yeah raise the alarm bells like week in and week out but whenever he would pop up and talk i'd be like how did like, it was just a bullshit meter going off like how does anybody take this guy seriously right 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 no i i mean but but that you put all that together it seems very very low probability to me that he was completely incompetent because you have to have some strategy that is pretty grand if you're gonna if you're gonna have the balls. I don't think you can call it like stupidity, but I mean, like you gotta. It you it would take a lot of balls to just go there and run all this stuff if you didn't have some powerful people backing you who knew exactly what they wanted to do with your company, exactly how they wanted it to work. And I think Kevin O'Leary is one of them. I mean, this guy's like, I don't know the ultimate grifter as we know so like um uh, if you're if you're if you're setting up the future of crypto regulation supposedly in the united states and your platform is going to like take all of the functions of the tradfi system you know 
like exchanges to broker dealers to, you know, just on ramping and everything else. I mean, like, I just can't see how you don't have some sort of a, a pretty wide net of powerful people that are working pretty closely with you. And none of them looked at this just shit show of a balance sheet, which, uh, what's his name? What's the, what's the uh, administrator's name? Ray? Is it Ray? Uh, I forgot already. The Enron guy that's running it now. Uh, Basically, Ray, he said yeah, it, Ray Johnson or something like that. Yeah. He said it, he said it was the, uh, the worst, you know, operation that he's ever seen, like the loot, the worst controls that he's ever seen. And this is from a guy that wound down Enron. I mean, like I, I just don't see it, man. I don't see incompetence there. I do see, you know, fuckery and conniving thievery and fraud and elitism and all the rest. But I, I, I don't know, man, I think they, they were, they were swinging for the fences, but like not just blindly. I think they had to have very connected people, you know, on their, on their side there. And it's just, it's amazing to see. It's amazing to see that all these people, I think that they probably thought, you know, these regulators, whoever was involved, this is like their best chance to really, you know, get in on this game where they've been laughing and ignoring right as uh, as gandhi said right the first few phases uh so far and i, I think they just thought this was their best chance but i really how how fucking embarrassed must you be like to know that you know there wasn't even a proper balance sheet <laughs> your, your your company that's supposed to be like the new nasdaq the new the everything app i really everything. hope this is the case because then it just proves that those at the top that play these games, the kleptocrats, are getting sloppy. They're getting complacent. They can't even control their puppet anymore. Yeah. Like, it's, I think he's going to get away with it. <laughs> I mean, everything uh, in regards to, like, the media blitz that's been happening and Maxine Waters coming out and, being like, oh, it's okay, Sam. Like you, you've been doing your best to communicate with the market. We really appreciate I mean, that. It's just very transparently, like they're trying to brush us under the rug. Can we be like? And obviously, the the uh, liberal media didn't catch any of it, didn't do anything. And um, New York Times and even the Wall Street Journal were writing puff pieces. Oh, that's that's just it's so embarrassing. It's it's hilarious. It's embarrassing. You get the shit coiners on there with their Twitter spaces trying to figure it out, like. This is just, we have been dealing with this for 10 years already. So from that side, it's just, you know, I'm a caveat emptor guy, like always. Um, and like, it, it is bad. Everybody, like, you know, even people in the Bitcoin space are like, you know, we do need some more regulation now, some more pointed regulation, all this. Like, it's, it's uh, depressing to hear all of those things. Right. And those uh, sentiments are not going away, even with established, you know, long standing professional Bitcoiners. You know, they're they're still talking about like how regulations need to be proper and prudent. Yeah, I'm not sure if you've seen the uh, the regulation drama with all the people in the space who want to be the ones who are in the rooms in D.C., Framing the, the regulation. I thought that was SPF. <laughs> it was. Um, it's like Ryan Selkis and uh, oh, yeah. a bunch of other people. There's some drama I saw over the weekend where DMs were being leaked and 
apparently there's some power plays being made in the background on behalf of the industry by a very select few individuals who I would not trust to craft regulation for the space. I mean, yeah. if this whole thing proves anything is that regulation doesn't do shit. <laughs> These were this I mean, was the insiders like, that found it. This is insiders that fixed it. And by the way, that's the same thing that happened to Enron. Enron uh, was brought down by short sellers well before any regulation. And Enron bought, brought in a wrath of regulation. Like I studied accounting in college and this was like the whole, that was my whole college accounting career was Sarbanes-Oxley, which was brought in precisely because of Enron fuckery and, you know, telling people to, uh, you know, power down their, their generators at like odd times of the day and like not market to market and all these things on their books and all this fuckery. But like, that even that that didn't work before it hasn't worked after it won't work in this industry um you know we had the global financial crisis obviously a few years after it's all about you know cheap credit as we know um for what this kind of stuff that we uh we follow that causes these cycles it's well beyond any sort of regulatory environment and if there is um a problem from an actor in the space it's always always going to be sniffed out by by the best actors by the people that can capitalize on it could short it or just screw them out right <laughs> sell their uh, kind of short it in a way as cz did um it was a power move for sure what he did i'm not necessarily saying he's like a champion either of you know, no he's running bnb bnb is the same fucking scan that ftt is or was no I, I know that it is but at least it's funny that he doesn't like have an official headquarters he just like <laughs> right. moves around the world <laughs> like he's got you know thousand different entities no no one really knows i mean who knows he could be involved with china i mean who knows uh, he came out and denied that over the weekend did he yeah no involvement with china uh, yeah but i mean you know like he's he's an interesting one was he? he may be the last to go as far as the centralized players go but um you know but then of course you got the good players all right like obviously like let's not talk about coinbase but i mean jesse i like jesse a lot at kraken and i mean i know you got chick coins that you gotta trade with to make money on a platform but look this caveat emptor stuff if you want to go on trade chick coins whatever but um he at least tells you like it is. He understands that he's like, look, don't don't put money on the exchange for me. It's just a liability for me. Uh, I heard him say that in an interview <laughs> in the last week or so. Like it's just a liability for me, which is true. The only way, the only reason uh, crypto exchanges are different than banks, like traditional banks in the United States, you know, with one currency, with the dollar, uh, that have you know been going on for a couple hundred years or whatever in you know England as well, modern banking system. Because you're always you were locked into basically one currency, and your business was was in lending. But with crypto exchanges, their their fees are not in lending at all. Uh, they know how risky it is. They could lend, and they they are starting to, which is what happens if you're going to stake, if you're going to stake some Bitcoin or stake some USDC or uh, whatever other shitcoin. Um, then that is for sure a lending operation. But at least that's transparent. Uh, but other than that. They're not, you know, they're not lending it out. I mean, they, they, you know, obviously we knew what happened with Mt. Gox, lost the coins and lost the cold storage access, marked it and all the, all the rest. There's there some hacks and problems there in the past. Um, but most of these exchanges are not going to do that for sure. And they're not making any money on it. The only money that they're making is from trading shit coins. So 
that's a completely different business model than has ever existed from a from a prior bank. Uh, so that's still kind of working its way out, I think. Like it's working its way through the system. Like we've just never seen something like an exchange that uh, it, that actually holds custody of assets and could lose those assets um, as as FDX did or, or steal those assets outright. Um, but the good ones, even the good ones like like Kraken, I mean, look, it's just caveat emptor. Like don't put your money there. You don't need to put your money there. If you want to trade a little bit or if you want to try to get some alpha, I mean, be my guess, but it's going to be harder and harder uh, as this stuff continues to get flushed out. And, and you just don't need, you just don't need to do it. Even the best will tell you, Jesse Powell tells you, it's just a liability. I'm not making any money on storage fees or anything else for Bitcoin. He might, they may have to do that in the future with more regulatory costs that come on to their, uh, you know, into their platforms and other operations. The only money they make is from trading shit coins. The only money they make is from you basically losing your Bitcoin to other <laughs> shit coins. That's the only money that exchanges make. They do not make money storing your Bitcoin. You need to internalize those freaks. I'm sure many of the people listening to this already have internalized this. And then even if, I mean, you mentioned the lending side of things that we've seen Celsius, BlockFi go down. I mean, I think lending Bitcoin, rehypothecating it, and lending it out to people is just critically insane, clinically insane, considering the price volatility that ex exists in the space. I mean, even Genesis, DCG, is getting dragged into this this mess. What interest rate is it worth it to you, Marty, to lend your Bitcoin out? I don't, I don't know if there is one, because, uh, I mean, you could say like 20%, but like, what does that mean? Like, yeah, 20% is appealing. But how do they get that twenty percent? They give it to somebody. I would say gonna... like forty. I would say like forty percent, and then because even but there, like your the risk, the higher is gets. That, the, I know the higher I know. gets, it, like the worse it seems because it's, it's... It, it reflects more risk. It reflects more risk. Obviously, the higher it gets, and that, and that there is a volatility uh, quotient in that uh, calculation for sure. Um, but yeah, the, the the risk of losing your principal is just too high to me. Losing your principal is the main thing. I mean. Like if you if you lose your if, if if whether it's it's somewhat here's the thing when the Bitcoin is being lent out it's not really being lent out in the real economy you know it's just from people going to shitcoin speculate yeah right? like hedge funds and traders like it's not like people are really you know like the hardware store down the street is taking a Bitcoin loan because it needs you know a Bitcoin loan like it's the people that are borrowing it are speculating the hell out of it yeah it's literally a more buttoned up prototypical Twitter scam bot. Give me one Bitcoin. I'll give you back one and a half. <laughs> that's, mm. that's essentially what it is. The scammers are at least more overt where the, the lending yield chasers are, uh, they try to put on more of a professional face and say, Hey, you can trust us with your Bitcoin. But at the end of the day, it's again, considering the stage we're at in Bitcoin's monetization phase and the uncertainty that exists in shitcoin world. Like you never know what's going to happen yeah. with these shitcoins. And like you mentioned, that's what the Bitcoin's being lent out to do is to trade those. Yeah. Uh, you can have one actor like CZ come out of nowhere and completely bork <laughs> one of these <laughs> chains. Wreck, wreck your entire exchange <laughs> and liquidity providers and market makers and everybody that's on there. I mean, just, so many people got wrecked on this exchange and 
it was interesting to see. I mean, again, sad, it was sad to see, but some of the hedge funds are on there. People that, you know, it's like, Sequoia writing puff pieces. Like it's really, come on people. These people, how do you invest that much money? Hundreds of millions into these jokers. Um, and again, I don't know. This is where, again, I get confused back to, not to dwell too much on our prior conversation, but like some, there's something different going on there. Yeah, I, I heard a Yusko, a Yusko uh, interview not long ago, and he said, you know, he remembers the MF Global one. And that was like, or no, I guess it was Madoff, which one was he mentioned, but it's like, you know, within 24 hours, Madoff was in handcuffs. Yes, that was onshore. Within 24 hours, he was in handcuffs. And I mean, like, that didn't happen to Mashinsky. That didn't happen to, uh, you know, some of these other big ICO blowups or centralized clearing blowups. And it didn't happen to SBF. Obviously, he's in the Bahamas. But, uh, I mean, the fuckery that must be going on with the Baham- Bahamian regulators and financial insiders there, uh, clearly connected to, you know, big players in the U.S. I don't yeah. know. If, if he gets off, it, it will be... It's just like a, a there you go moment. I mean, never trust. Why would you ever trust these guys? Why would you ever trust? This was the motherfucker that was going to be planning your cryptocurrency legislation. Just look at them. All you had to do was look at them. I'm a pretty <laughs> left side of the bell curve grunt. Uh, my BS meter, I just have to look at somebody. I'm like, no, no, this ghoul. He literally looks ghoulish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this tour, what do you think about this tour that he's doing, though? I mean, he's just, he looks so bad, so dumb. He's not even giving real answers. Again, I, I could not watch the Sorkin interview. I would not subject it. yourself I, to I that. Refuse, refuse to watch it. But the Twitter space is one is a little bit more manageable, you know, just washing dishes or whatever, doing something, you can listen to that. But like, you listen to this guy, just every word coming out of his gross mouth is probably, you know, just. Stinks. Just, you know, I could smell it from here. Yeah, I had some, just took some drugs and had a big pot of spaghetti, you know, from an unwashed plate. Like, I mean, this guy, like, is just, like, how could, how could you possibly, possibly trust this motherfucker? But, you know, he's going around, like, still kind of getting these puff pieces, glowing reviews, and... I mean, he's lost $10 billion. Yeah, well, he's personally lost $27 billion, so that's part of the puff piece. Is he's not a yeah. multi-deca billionaire anymore. He's only got $100,000 in the bank account. He lost everything. He's hurting, too. I mean, he doesn't answer any questions. The CoffeeZilla <laughs> questions were funny. I would encourage you to, to listen to, to those. I think he did a standalone video, actually, today. Um, of those two interviews, but like no one will hold his feet to the fire on these interviews. Even the, the shitcoin guys that were trying to well, shitcoin guys were fucking idiots. Yeah. Well, I mean, they should be, they should be getting drilled too, because I, I've done a little research into their histories. They're chronic shitcoin pumpers and which ones that Mario Narwhal guy or whatever the fuck his name is. Yeah. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. So, well, if you got dot ETH, doesn't he have dot ETH in his handle? And if uh, you got dot probably. ETH in handle, then. But, um, yeah, a lot of those guys. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's cross currents everywhere with some of these 
yeah. some of these guys. You definitely got to be careful. Everyone's a scammer. We live in the all-time high clown world. It only seems to be climbing higher every day. I mean, in this whole situation, a lot of people want to, uh, he certainly deserves considerable amount of blame. But again, this is like Weimar vibes. Like everybody thought that they were going to put their Bitcoin into this casino, ride the shitcoin pumps, become immensely rich, get out, be smarter than everybody else. And it's, I think it's a product of the, the age that we live in where people want a free ride. People want easy money. Uh, there's no concept of hard work. It's very hard to find these days and, and nobody wants to take personal responsibility. Like, like we've been mentioning, this could be completely avoided if you took the extreme ownership over your Bitcoin that you should be taking and holding your own keys. You could, yeah. we have been sitting on the sidelines feeling bad for people, but also laughing. Uh, there's been, I'm not going to lie. There's been a lot of shouting Freud coming from my end, like fucking told you so. Um, yeah. We've been screaming on our platforms for, for years now, half a decade on this end saying, Hey, just, if you're going to buy Bitcoin on exchange, buy it on exchange and put it in your own wallet, secure your wallet and, sleep happy get some peace of mind yeah i mean just if you want to keep funds there to trade or shitcoin or whatever i mean minimal minimal like the maximum maximum amount of uh your wealth should not there's no reason jesse powell himself will tell you there's no reason to keep it on an exchange and again for him uh it's just a liability your money on his exchange is just a liability something to possibly lose the only way he makes money from you is trading shitcoins <laughs> and <laughs> Most of you motherfuckers are not going to be good traders. I'm mean, like 99% of yeah. people who trade lose money. So you, yeah. you may think you're going to you're oh, that's what trade I was the market. Going to ask is like even the uh, the old the OG like um, good trading enterprises. Let's say like Bitmax. All of the conflicting signals. You know, you had uh, you had Bitmax. They tried to take out Bitmax, and then like the next week or maybe two weeks after when uh, the NYDFS like started their injunction, started their process with BitMEX a couple of years ago, like the next week, Kraken got their banking license. Now, granted, that was like Wyoming. So it's a different, it's a different jurisdiction. Wasn't like the same. It wasn't a pure uh, oxymoronic sort of sequence of events that it would have been if it was someone in New York. But then in the, you got, you got what happens with uh, obviously plenty of other uh, shitcoin enterprises like some seem to be okay some not and then obviously this one with FTX uh, they were a favored uh, bunch they were the favored ones as well so it's it's completely arbitrary who your regulators are going to work with there's nothing magical about being regulated there's nothing magical about having your bitcoin on this exchange like you just you have to do the work you have to do it yourself and this it's another thing I'm listening to some of these uh, so I'm listening to uh, Simon Dixon in particular uh, uh, who was on the, the call. I don't know what you think about him. Like he's been he's around. A yeah. I mean, he's got his, uh, banks of the future platform, which, uh, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's been around, but, uh, maybe a bit more like TradFi kind of straddling, but still, uh, definitely, definitely, uh, leveraging a lot of the shitcoin space. But he's using these words that I, I, I this is now starting 
brief, brief soapbox moment, which I usually do about the, about the free banking stuff. Like he uses in words like commingling of funds, which Sam was doing. And they did him and ran, they did get him to say that he was commingling funds, uh, on, on Alameda. But the stuff about, he would then go in to talk about, they would talk about spot versus margin. Like if you had, you know, spot versus margin, if those funds were commingled, if, if it was fully backed and you see this and it doesn't matter who you're talking about FTX, crypto banking, crypto exchanges. Uh, they always use things like one-to-one phrases like one-to-one or fully backed or proof of reserves. All of this shit drives me nuts because no one understands that you are literally not addressing the main problem. And the main problem is that you should fucking custody yourself, your, your, your own Bitcoin. Like that is the problem in this financial system. The problem is, you know, there's not enough self-custody. You're putting too much trust in these motherfuckers that are regulated in just stupid and uh, self-interested in conflicting ways. So that's the problem. And all this stuff about commingling. So the Alameda stuff is blatant fraud. And that's true. Like that's absolutely fraud. That should never, it would never happen even in a, uh, fairly reputable, normal Wall Street bank. I mean, you're just not going to like take money that you raise from investors, take money that you raise from customers and have it in a separate company, invest it in your own separate companies. Like no one knows where it is, buy yourself some property, all the rest. Uh, that's absolutely fraud. Like that's Ponzi scheme level fraud. That is commingling of funds, meaning you have it like in a completely different uh it's actually not word commingle. It's just like taking the funds and spending them. It's Ponzi scheme stuff. But the, this word about commingling and, and like if it's a difference between spot and futures and if you have Bitcoin exchange, where's the actual Bitcoin versus synthetic stuff that I see on my dashboard? All that shit, all of it from like a thousand years ago till today is the same. It's just a claim. It's a ledger entry. It's someone that someone created for you. Yes, if you're a proper business, you will match your assets with your liabilities. Banks do it. It's not, there's no drawer with your name in it when you take a Federal Reserve note and put it into the bank. It's actually impossible to do that. That's why uh, banks do commingle funds. Like there's no drawer with your name, uh, you know, with with your funds sitting in a, in a bank vault. It's not, it's uh, money's fungible which is actually a unfortunate phrase that SPS trying to been using. He's like, you know, dollars are fungible. Dollars are fungible. He talks about how they fucking lost. <laughs> he keeps saying dollars are fungible. I heard of these stupid interviews, but <laughs> all of these motherfuckers, they don't like dollars are fungible, commingling, proof of reserves, all these things. At the end of the day, it all means the exact same thing. It means you have your money in custody with ran by a fiduciary. So what they give you is not the real thing at all. What they give you is, is called fiduciary media. It's, it's fiduciary media. You, you log on to Kraken, Bitfinex, whatever you see on the screen. I have 0.5 Bitcoin, one Bitcoin, whatever it is. That is definitely not your Bitcoin. We all know not your keys, not your Bitcoins, definitely not your Bitcoin, but it is something. So what is it? Well, those exchanges do have their assets matched with their liabilities. They have Bitcoin in their cold storage and some in hot storage and hot wallets. But um, what they are showing you is not, you don't have to worry about it being one-to-one or whatever. The, the assets are always going to lie equal liabilities. They may have some loans that they give out. It definitely happens with Bitfinex and Tether. Uh, there's loans that are going between those companies. 
and they may be sound they may not be sound it's gonna be up for you to, to judge no, you know don't be a baby and say you want more regulation for it or all the rest just judge it yourself see if you want to put money on that exchange um but all of that the point is that everything that exists inside of one of these entities these third parties these fiduciaries which is the old term these fiduciaries it's, it's basically they're taking your real money they take your base money they take your bitcoin they take your hard paper dollars your hard currency they mix it up they try to do you know they try to lend it out they try to get some yield all the rest that none of that is criminal but what they give you in return whether it's a debit card check online banking account dashboard that stuff is fiduciary media it is it's just it's it's a representation of what you gave them. It's not one-to-one. -one. It's not fully backed. It's definitely commingled. It's always commingled. It doesn't matter if it's spot or margin. I mean, <laughs> do you think do you think when you send money to Kraken, like they even and you never use a margin? Like say you never use leverage. It doesn't matter, Kraken Coinbase. Do you think that they have a a cold storage wallet with an individual X pub for you individually just sitting there somewhere? Fuck no. There's no individual cold storage X xpub just for you with one address just for you that like they happen to manage that you know that for it's all it's all with them all of the bitcoin goes into one you know as we know and as armstrong said which is a lot higher than i thought it's a lot higher than i think a lot of people that he said there's two million recently two million bitcoin on their balance sheet which is insane not quite sure about that number because other like glassnode and other people don't have it that i i haven't read any breakdowns after he said that but regardless that's a lot of Bitcoin for one person to custody. But um, but regardless, all of that is, it's not yours. It's not yours. It's theirs. It sits, once you make the deposit, it sits as an asset on their books. And they have a liability to you to repay it if and when you might want to receive it. And that liability is called a deposit. It is called your account. So again, I know it's a soapbox. I do it every time, but it's like people... These words, like these, it's just it's it's just exasperating to listen to. Like commingling, proof of reserves, all this. The only proof of reserve you have is if you reserve it yourself. Like everybody should know that. That's the only proof of reserve you're going to have is if you hold the base money yourself. The one exception. The one exception. Sorry, you're going to say something. No, I was going to say proof of reserves has been a, a hot topic the last few weeks. Sure, sure, and I, you know it gets sophisticated. I have no problem with people trying. Great, good on them. You know, Nick Carter's been shouting from that hill for years, and I did. Great to try to do something to make it better, and you know, at every individual depositor can look at something that seems to represent a proof of reserves of their Bitcoin attached. You know, every hour or day or whatever, Kraken uh, does a pretty good job of that. For others, you know, can try, but it's not the same thing. You're still not going to know for sure that those are the liabilities that exist. The only liabilities that exist for that uh, that company, I mean, it's, it's at some extent, you just can't do it. It's not it's not it's not Bitcoin. It's not how it works. Only only with Bitcoin do you have a fully. I've said this before. Bitcoin balances its budget every ten minutes. Every ten minutes, you know for sure uh, that you know the next block is there. Yeah, okay, you got to wait, wait a few confirmations. You've made a transaction, but like that's the only thing when you hold your keys and you hold UTXOs on. Uh, on on the Bitcoin network, that's that's when you have proof of reserves. That's when you know that it's your Bitcoin. Nothing else is your Bitcoin. So, I it's like I understand from a legal perspective why people got to say these things. And like, of course, if I had money, you know, one of these exchanges and it went under, like, 
I would want to get my money back. And I'm doing air quotes for the listeners here. I want to get my money in air quotes back. But all this stuff <clears throat> about it's my money, you shouldn't have let it out. I didn't know you were lending it out. I didn't know you were doing this, didn't do that. First of all, you know, don't rely on cryptocurrency exchanges terms <laughs> cheats right now. I mean, this is an early industry. Uh, I'm not I'm not calling for regulation in that respect. I'm just saying, you know, this is an early industry. They're making money from shitcoin trading. They're, you know, they don't have maybe they don't have good cold storage policies, all the rest. But regardless, like it's just I understand from a legal perspective to say it's my money, it's my fund, it's my money. But it's just not. You have to understand that it, you have a claim. It's an IOU. There's like you, you're going to get in line with everyone else when they go if and when they go bankrupt. And it's been you know a little bit more like uh, when, not than if this year in 2022. But you're just going to get in line. It doesn't really matter what it says on the terms. There's no. You may be first in line. Depositors, you know, should and are often first in line in the banking system. And also they have this scam called FDIC insurance in the United <laughs> States bank system, which is another reason to give people false confidence. But economically, economically, you have no money. There is not, all you have is a claim. You have no money. There is no money there. It's nothing. It's just an asset and a liability relationship on the bank. I mean, it's not fraudulent. It's not like, you know, it's, it's none of that. I mean, th this is not an Alameda situation. I'm just talking in general, how it would work in Coinbase or whatever. But all this stuff, this like, oh, co-mingling, co like, oh, did you mix spot and margin? Like, spot and margin are always mixed. Like, there's no there's no way to determine this. And it's just like you put money into a, a bank vault. Like, it's always mixed with the bank's loans, which on the bank's books are its assets. It's it's There's no, you know, unfortunately, to use an SPF saying that they are fungible. It's, that's how it works. That's why it, that's why you have the banking system work the way it is. It scales payments. It scales... Uh, finance and, and everything else. So anyway, that's my little, I knew I, I was going to get on that soapbox. I love your soapbox rants. I mean, sure. I mean, again, we can beat a dead horse here, but not your keys, not your coins is a saying. For the, a reason. Uh, yeah. The, the one exception, which is an exception that confuses people a lot is a bailment it's called a bailment. You probably know this, right? So, a bailment is a legal term that it doesn't mean a transfer of ownership, which is what everything else I just described is. Like you put money in a bank, you put crypto, Bitcoin, whatever in an exchange. That's a transfer of ownership. Literally, you went from having the asset to having a liability claim. Like they have to pay you when you want it back, but it's their asset now. So that's a transfer of ownership. That's how it works in 99% of the banking world. Any world, financial world doesn't matter. It also, like Coinbase custody is not a bailment. That's just a transfer of. Well, let me let me let me go back to that. Um, so, ninety nine percent of the financial world world is a uh, is uh, is a claim. It, it, like when you put it into a third party, any any money, it's it's a claim. The bailment is a transfer of possession legally, transfer of possession where you really would retain ownership. But that is so small, and it's not like in legal dispute. The only things that are bailments are there, like safety deposit boxes. Where you actually have something that you know you go in you transfer the possession away you no longer have it you have an agreement the thing is physical it's recognizable it's usually not fungible so it's unique uh, and that's a that's an ancient rule by the way for like coins that came into the bank that were sealed and in a bag and you said hey i want you to store this that became known as bailment uh, everything else that was called was a mutuum a mutuum it means uh, it's mutable basically and uh 
it's a mutual agreement, which basically that that came to be called a deposit agreement. But that's what free banking. That's what like bank, the banking system would work for like five hundred years. All the rest, gold money does bailments. Uh, gold money does bailments. They 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 actually even they they pretty hardcore on their bailments too. Like they have like even cages that are segregated inside of the vault, um, right? For of, individual of, customers. Of, yeah, for individual customers, and it's and it's uh, it's. Uh, in your name that gold is absolutely in your name um the only company i know in the bitcoin space that does any sort of bailments is voltoro and they do the same with gold but they don't do it with bitcoin because it's not easy enough yet i mean like even though you think bitcoin is easy to transfer around whatever again do you think every exchange has a cold storage xpub with your name on it like just don't they don't have that it's not uh it just doesn't exist and so anyway the point point being um even bailments this was the point I wanted to make. Even bailments, like it's great. You may think bailments are great and like gold, you know, hard cold gold bugs are always talking about bailments. It's like, it, it's my money. It sits there. It's mine. Nobody else can touch it. It's mine, mine, mine. You still got it. First of all, you still got to pay. That's not free. Like it, a bailment, you would actually have to pay a fee. That's why people don't prefer it because they don't want to pay the fees. But that's the first point. And the second point is, it's still kind of not your money. <laughs> like, <laughs> It it is legally it is legally absolutely it's a transfer of possession not a transfer of ownership that's a bailment but you know what if that what if that vault gets robbed I mean yeah they got to pay for the big doors and the oh, security and the insurance and all have, that but what if it gets robbed we have not only if it gets robbed what if it gets robbed by your government it happened here in California earlier this year or maybe last year recently where you had a private safety deposit box company which is running out of like a strip mall in California and they were doing no KYC, no AML and their customers, the FBI found out that I believe it was like one individual customer was storing funds at that safety deposit box company. And they went in and stole everybody's assets. Like not only the guys that they, that they were targeting, but everybody else that had their assets in those safety deposit boxes. And are they going to get them back or they got to go through litigation? I'm sure they have to go through litigation. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It's just, yeah, like stealing assets, at, like interstate commerce laws, all this bullshit that would steal. If you got cash on you, like in, you know, crossing the border or whatever, they just steal it. Regardless, they'll just steal your cash. They stop <laughs> you. So yeah. just be careful of that, obviously. But um, yeah, this is also, I don't want to get on another tangent yet. And if you want to go somewhere else, that's, that's obviously the push to CBDCs and all the rest. But it's really, it's never your money. That's the thing. Even with a bailment where it's technically, technically your ownership, like you said, it's still at risk. It's still at risk, obviously, of threat. But everything else is certainly a claim. And Coinbase custody, by the way, I read their terms. That's not a bailment. That's, uh, that's a trust. That's a trust. So it's supposed to be kind of cool, supposed to be secure and interesting and unique. Because even Coinbase doesn't own that. So it's another level, right? So it's a trust. Coinbase has hired a trustee to hold those assets. So supposedly, you know, in more, uh, let's say, less easy to be spent ways, which is a trust agreement. That's all it is. It's just trust agreement. So they have a trustee, someone else that's not Coinbase, that holds your funds on behalf of you. So there's like another level of, of trust there. But, but even that is a... The, the, economically there's no difference like that it's it's not a bailment and uh and it's it's still a claim like you just got to go one level up you got to go to the trustee then if the trustee loses it the trustee could in bitcoin terms trustee could totally lose it too so 
So none of that matters. None of that matters in Bitcoin. None of that matters in finance. 99% of the things. If ever you hear a shitcoin or someone talking about, well, we're going to get our money back. We can get our funds. It was never your money in the first place. You're in line as a creditor. You got to understand that. You are a different. You're in a different place than you were when that exchange was operating. You're, in a, you're certainly in a different uh, uh, headspace. Like hopefully you learned. You should never put your money there because, you know, you're, you're going to have to deal with the, the legal costs and the headache and the time and the weight and the time preference to get your cash back. But, um, th- you know, th- there is, there's, there's no difference. There's no difference. So commingling, proof of reserves, all of these terms you hear doesn't mean anything. It's not, it's not, yeah, SBF was like low, low, low on the totem pole of, <laughs> of everything as far as like controls and, and, and custody and all the rest and, you know, typical accounting. And yeah, he was running a Ponzi, but um, even normal working exchanges like crack and Jesse Powell says it right. I mean, that's like, it's don't hold your money on our exchange. It's not, you know, it's, it's just a liability. Yeah. So we're going to learn. Yeah. We're going to learn. I mean, I learned that I learned that in like 2015. Yeah. The Mimpel exchange. Yeah. And uh, the guy ran it, just decided to take everybody's Bitcoin and run. It happened. That was in 2015, yeah. Yeah, I believe so. 2014 or 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they've had their hacks, you know, a lot of a lot of different ones. Bitstamp, uh, Bitfinex, um, obviously MTGOX, which, you know, again, you can blame it on this, blame it on that, blame it on negligence but at the end of the day you don't it's not your money there yeah it's just not your money you're 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 gonna sit in line like everybody else as a creditor and to then, try to get something back and you might not get bitcoin back you might get you know japanese yen or <laughs> i don't know like, like i mean you, you may not get bitcoin back yeah that's gonna be a very interesting case study mark Carpellos was on a podcast last week and he said the mount gox creditors should be getting paid out at some point in the next in the first two quarters of 2023 yeah, uh, which is not, already supposed to be the third quarter of 2022. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. And they're not getting Bitcoin back, right? They're getting paid out in yen equivalents. Uh, yeah, I've heard different things, so I don't want to speak on it. But okay. um, it could be. It, let's just say it very well could be yen equivalent. And uh, there you go. Like you, you. I mean. And if it is yen equivalent, definitely not inflation adjusted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you yeah, think they make like, their own rules up, man. It's just like inflation, the price inflation index. I mean, they make their own rules. Like that'll be a really interesting case study. If it is payback in yen, non-inflation adjusted, they're not going to, I doubt every creditor is going to be made whole on the deposits they had on Mt. Gox. So they're already taking a haircut on their deposits, I would imagine. And then on top of that, they're getting yen back, which has been significantly debased over the last almost 10 years yeah yeah fucking learn how to spin up a wallet and hold your own keys freaks it's time like that should be the regulation that comes out of this like you should not be allowed to hold your to hold <laughs> claims to bitcoin on a centralized third party because they've proven yeah. time and time again not to be able to actually secure them or yeah. follow through with the and fiduciary responsibility to manage them properly. It's going to be more embarrassing. 
hiccups from regulators trying to wade through this stuff. Uh, this certainly set the industry back like many years, but uh, just for all the grifters that are saying like, oh, we need even more regulation. Maybe, you know, we just need some good stable regulations. Like, you do realize that regulations caused uh, nothing but problematic stuff here. They definitely didn't help with, uh, with the solution. Right? Whether it's whether it's Madoff or Enron or MF Global, like it's short sellers typically that find something wrong. Yeah. We don't need regulation. We need better education about what people are actually dealing with when they, when they think they're buying Bitcoin. Should we hop into the charts? Yeah, man, we, uh, we don't have to go through too, too in depth. I'm pulling it up, Logan. Yeah. Yeah, the regulatory grifters, man. We need regulatory clarity. That's why this happened. There was no regulatory clarity. It's like, what? I can't stand it. No more commingling of funds. Dumb fucks. It it's just doesn't mean anything. You're saying <laughs> words that don't mean anything. It's always commingled. Um, all right. So... For those that are watching, uh, just very quickly, for those that are that are uh, listening, I guess we have um, doing this about uh, five years now, I guess. Um, this is uh, uh, the Q3 update. It takes time because usually another month uh, has to go by after the quarter end. We we're going to do this in November, and then November blew by for us. So uh, with... Uh, you know, not too, not too boring of a few weeks here. So uh, finally coming on in December, started December to do this, but this is the Q3. So this is end September 30th. Uh, basically, as I was talking before, if you have base money, which is like in today's financial world, I know it wasn't in prior financial world, like gold standard world, but in today's financial world, it just means cash and coin and all of the, what's called the bank reserve. So the, the uh, account that each bank holds at the central bank, that's the, you add those two things together, it's a monetary base, and that is going to be compared to Bitcoin economically. Economically, so whether I hold Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin and Kraken, whatever, you know, they have, somewhere those UTXOs exist. Doesn't matter who's holding them. Just like somewhere gold ounces exist. Doesn't matter if uh, you're holding them or you know Peter Schiff's company is holding them. Uh, God forbid. No, <laughs> company's okay. James Turk's a good dude, but. Um, yeah, uh, that's 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 the idea. It's basic money is uh, it's something that really it's 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 the ultimate asset. There's typically it's typically the match. It's going to be matched by equity. You can definitely lever it up, but uh, if you hold it and you have no bank debt, uh, it's your asset. It's nobody else's liability. It's your asset. It's your equity. Um, it would be the same in in uh, in any other case. If, if an institution held it, on the other hand, though, they have the asset and they also have the liability to you. So. The moment that you put it in institutions, obviously this stuff gets complicated, but you can still trace it back to the core of the stuff, the thing that it is. So that's physical dollars and bank reserves, uh, which is very similar, by the way, it's very similar to the, the total assets of the central bank. So, um, but this is on the liability side. So it's what the central bank owes to the banks and to all of us. Uh, it's 26.8 trillion. We got 50 currencies, been doing that for a couple quarters. 26.8 trillion dollar equivalent. And this is an interesting number because 
uh, about six months ago, that number was about 30 trillion. And really, they're printing a little bit less. They're trying to rein it in from COVID stimulus, but not much. Uh, maybe it's about flat, the money printing roughly. But just that number has come down because the dollar has just been screaming. It's absolutely been screaming compared to every other currency. So that's why uh, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit lower. It's actually not that they're necessarily printing less. It's just you know this is uh, Wittgenstein's ruler. I have to I have to put this in something. I can't put. It doesn't make sense to put it in Bitcoin because you don't get a number that's more than twenty one million. So you can't do that. So it's just sort of the easiest thing is to look at a dollar equivalent. So twenty seven. 26.8 trillion is a monetary base. Uh, yeah, we've the had euro is actually yeah, had the yen, the euro, the pound specifically have have fallen against the dollar. Everything, man, everything. I don't know if I have. A, I can't remember if I have a chart in this uh, series, but literally, I mean, every currency has just been crushed this year against the dollar. It's, it's changed a little bit in the last month or two compared to the start of the year, but. Everything has literally been crushed. So, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, this these are old theories, too, where they're talking, you know, dollar milkshake or it's the best-looking horse in the glue factory. Like, this is, uh, at the end of the day, we all know that the dollar is, uh, you know, the, the world's reserve currency, which most central banks uh, reserve. They're not reserving gold. They're trying to reserve dollar or dollar-based assets. But this is the actual, uh, just the core. This is each central bank's monetary base so uh 6.3 trillion euros is the biggest monetary base dollars actually ranked number three uh 97 of global gdp by these 50 currencies 84 percent of the pop or 84 percent of the population of the world and so it's about 5.6 billion ounces of gold which is almost 10 trillion dollars that's the equivalent um amount of uh, gold that compares that does not include industrial gold and then 19.2 million bitcoin which is uh at the time of writing it was 0.35 trillion or 350 billion and even at 350 billion where you got like 6.3 trillion euros or dollars worth of euro uh you know five and some trillion uh, dollar worth monetary base bitcoin still there's there, you know it's very uh it's very uh pareto like so there's a huge distribution there from the top to the bottom uh weighted uh towards the top top four or five currencies so bitcoin uh really over the last five years has snuck up and it's uh it's about the ninth largest currency if you uh, don't include gold and silver if you include gold and silver it's the 11th largest currency so i don't know i said we'd make it quick so that's really the summary um there's just a lot of stuff on here that you know i really try to break it down for you you can see the physical versus uh the bank reserves you can see it per capita um you can see how this stuff changes you can see it uh this is another one i want to I don't know. Did we talk about the physical, the CBDC stuff? You want to talk about CBDCs or? Let's talk or CBDCs. No? And I'm not being rude, checking a text. I'm looking for a tweet that I want to bring up. No worries. So um, here is a, uh, this isn't the tweet, tweet that I wanted to show, but earlier this year, uh, the Bank of Japan issued a uh, very interesting report. And they literally worded, at this point, there are a few countries that have a clear use case for CBDC. So the big countries know that CBDCs are awful. All right, CBDCs are a risk to themselves because uh, CBD, the, the central bank exists for two reasons. The first is for the state, for the government. It makes the governments 
bonds look better than they otherwise would be because they can buy them. They can put a floor on them. They can increase the price by buying them with money that they create. And the second is they exist, of course, for the banking system. Uh, as most people know, like most central banks, not all central banks, but a lot of central banks are privately held. There's bank uh, interests in the central bank. And of course, uh, the banking system you know, needs, as we say, lender of last resort. Central bank exists for uh, the bank. So the first is the state. The second is the banking system. And CBDCs just destroy everything there. I mean, it's, 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 it's the central bank trying to act like a normal bank holding CBDCs and uh, issuing CBDCs and having, you know, apps and technology and all the rest interfacing with, with the public. And then the other problem, so that's the first problem basically is that uh, they already do cash and they, you know, they do cash quite well. <laughs> Some countries better than others. Uh, Latin American countries in particular like to print a little bit more than they probably should, <laughs> but that, no, it's not a laughing matter. Obviously we, as we know, it uh, harms a lot of people. Um, but the, the you have to think that what they're already doing is a huge, huge part of the retail money supply. CBDC is supposed to be retail. So if I show you this chart, this is the physical cash supply of the world. Right now, it's about $8.6 trillion equivalent, $8.6 trillion or $1,100 per capita. And that, that I literally mean cash money, retail money. So like you think about all the dollars, euros, yen, yuan, uh, you know, yuan, uh, Brazilian real, everything, pesos, and using black market rates, by the way, if I can. So not helping these central banks if I can, um, which you shouldn't. I mean, that's, everybody knows the black market rate is typically out there, especially for, for less no, well-known central banks. $8.6 trillion, which is still a lot of money, right? So like I, I said this at Honey Badger, you may remember, I think Apple market cap was a little bit under $3 trillion at the time, so about three times Apple uh, but again, like Apple, you think about like all the computers, phones, iPads, whatever. I mean, the market capitalization of that company is $2.7 trillion. This is like cash is no joke. And people say nobody uses cash anymore. Well, okay, but have you actually measured it? You know, I've actually measured it, uh, not on this chart, but it grows. It lasts like 15 years. It's grown at a 15% growth rate. So cash is not slowing down. So that's the, that's the problem number one for CBDCs is you're going to, as a central bank, compete with your own best product, which is physical cash. Now, you may say that you want to do it, whatever, for the controls and all the rest, but it's going to be pretty hard, I think, to like population is growing at 1.5% per year and physical cash grows over the last 50 years by like 8%, uh, about 8%, if I remember correctly. So there's, a mis there's quite a mismatch there, maybe even 9% doesn't really matter the discrepancy is so wide if you understand you know interest <laughs> rates you can understand that's a huge discrepancy huge delta all right so that's problem number one is that uh central banks have just a massive massive stockpile of cash and people actually do use cash throughout the world even though in the western world we don't think about using cash it's it, the stockpile is growing it's not it's not decreasing so they got to compete with that with their cbdc and the second thing is once CBDCs get into uh, the economy, if they were to get in the economy, actually compete, you know, besides competing with their own physical stock, which we just talked about, what else would they be competing with? How, like, what would be their market share uh, of, of where they could take it from? It would be deposits of the banking system. And as I just said, central banks exist for the state and also exists for the banks. Um, 
why would they want to do that to their own banking system? Like banks, you know, in every, and again, you don't have to take my word for it. This is in every CBDC report in the world, basically. It's like, yeah, this could be a problem for depositors. We could see deposits. If we want to have this, it could drain deposits from the system. That is fiduciary media, right? People would take their money out of banks. They would get some sort of base money. Maybe they get hard cash for a time, whatever. Or they just do the straight transfer into base money, CBDC. And once you hold CBDC, well, theoretically, it's great, right? Obviously, we know that's Orwellian and horrible and awful. But if you're a bank, you don't like that at all. Because if you've just taken my deposit where I could lend out and earn interest on it, you've, ta you've taken that deposit out of the bank. I no longer have those funds to lend. And that makes me less profitable. So that's a real issue. Those two issues they know about, they understand everything. That's why the euro... Central Bank is, is saying in their latest, you know, rumblings on CBDCs that they'll have, you know, a limit of whatever it is, X euros a day that you can spend, X euros a day or X euros you can hold in total. You know, we're talking minimal amounts so far, you know, a couple hundred, a couple thousand in certain cases. And that's it. But then if that's the case, like all that is, is just it's a whole lot of bureaucracy and Again, Orwellian tracking and all the rest and uh, systems that have to come in place. Of course, they want it. They want it, They want the control. But it's going to be a big, a big hurdle, man. I mean, you got the Bank of Japan right here saying, like, we're, we're not we're not going into this. They, they said it. They said it. They gave a report. They said, currently, it has no plans to issue CBDC, and we find few countries have a clear use case. This is from a top four currency, top four central bank in the world. Like, people should pay attention to this. And I, I put in this tweet, like, this was a couple weeks, I think, after this July 2022 report. I put BOJ, CBDC. You know, you just get these vomit articles from Bloomberg that, like, have nothing to do with, you know, digital yen. This stuff from, like, you know, a few years ago. No one would, no one is tracking that report. So anything that doesn't fit the narrative, as we know, they don't report on. So um, I, don't, I don't have as many fears about CBDCs as most people do. But don't get me wrong. Uh, it's something to track and keep an eye on. Yeah. It seems hard. And have you heard the theory that Tom Luongo has really been leading the charge on this, that what we're seeing in regards to the Fed's interest rate policy this year is actually the commercial banking system here in the U.S. using the Fed as a proxy to wage war against the European-centric cabal that would like to push us into a CBDC world. Sorry, man. Can you say that again? <laughs> so Tom sorry. Luongo has a theory that what we're seeing coming out of the Fed in terms of raising rates as high as they have been, as quickly as they have been, is essentially an attack on European-centric Davos World Economic Forum class that wants to push us into the CBDCs. The commercial banking system is using uh, Jerome Powell as yeah. a, a weapon of raising interest rates, trying to drain the Euro dollar market and put that banking system in a precarious situation because they're trying to send a message like, Hey, stop pushing the CBDC stuff. You're going to destroy our businesses. Um, and we will use, the, we will use the fed as a proxy to, to cause you some pain to send the message. Yeah. I, I haven't, seen that uh particular you know view but i certainly have seen and i certainly have understood that most fed officials have been pretty cool to the idea and of course it's one of these things like why would they need it i mean uh 
I did see as well, Powell said, if we do a CBDC, it's certainly not going to be a bearer asset CBDC. He used those words. But then if it's not a bearer asset CBDC, meaning if you don't have the ability to just self-custody, like, you know, I don't know, create your own keys and like you create your wallet where somehow cryptographically you know for sure it's on your phone or your computer or whatever if if he if he's saying like that's out of the picture we're not going to do that anyway then there's no difference between um between a bank deposit it's it's just a it's a same thing that would be something name. yeah it would, it would be the exact same thing as a bank deposit uh, you can say that it's a cool technology that you can cryptographically track better and Maybe it's a blockchain, maybe it's not. And by the way, CBDC does not mean it's blockchain. It could be you know, anything. Um, so there's just these terms that people are using for it. Um, but I, I, my understanding from seeing the f- people that know the dollars, yeah, they, they know the dollar is the best looking horse in the glue factory. They want to protect it. And they're not, they're not seeing the benefits either, just like the Bank of Japan. So it's interesting. Obviously, yeah, the euro... <laughs> Cabal, as you say, it needs uh, a lot of work, a lot of help in a lot of a lot of areas, and um, less least of all security. But that's a whole other thing, and we yeah. have to get into that today. But uh, yeah, I, I I could totally see that as a as a viable you know strategy, and it, it, that's actually interesting too because it kind of shows that you know it's not a it's not a total global cabal yet, right? Like there's still some competition, yeah, even among the central banks. And it's just, there's nothing in it. There's nothing in it for the dollar. I mean, um, by the way, stable coins might take the, take the show. You know, I, I said that on your show as well, like five years ago. I mean, that's, that's the low hanging fruit. That's the thing they want to, uh, go for first. And even after the Terra collapse, which was a stable coin, right? Unstable coin. Yeah. It's bullshit. It's all, but, um, the fed, I think it was yelling at that time not the fed the treasury came out with uh remarks that were like saying we're going to address this and whatever and these coin i mean like again as you talked about earlier as bad as ftx is and as stupid and probably as insider and elitist and weird as it gets it's it's just a dust mite on on the you know the elephant's ass of of the dollar economy i mean the euro the repo economy the euro dollar economy uh, all of it is just massive. You're talking tens of trillions. Repo, maybe not that big, maybe like seven trillion, but the do- euro dollar economy is probably much, much larger than that. On top of just the regular dollar economy, trillions and trillions of dollars. FTX, 10 billion, whatever. Um, you know, a couple frauds here or there. Terra, less than that. Stablecoin uh index is maybe 150 billion last i checked i haven't checked in a while so stable coins are under 200 billion for sure right and um 150 billion uh, these are these are just rounding errors there's so small figures and the fact that they oh, I'm happy. are speaking so adequate ad, you know adamantly against it shows that they're scared of it and shows they don't know what to do about it yeah I'm just gonna say, I like to see them scared, but I'm happy you brought this up talking about like large numbers. This is the topic I wanted to end it on. This is a report out of yeah. Reuters, which dropped right before 
we went live here, so we're recording. We'll post this tomorrow on December 6th. So this story came out um, today, December 5th, in the morning, and the Bank of International Settlements has come out warning uh, UK pensioners specifically uh, that they need to begin being aware of this quote-unquote blind spot they have, which is an FX swap debt of $80 trillion. So they have like off balance sheet exposure upwards of $80 trillion um, in FX swaps. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to read it. So obviously this is derivative. It's th these numbers are eye catching, but you know, again, that's, that's a tough one because like derivatives are, are weird. So, so that I'm, I'm sure that that 80 trillion is a notional value. It's, it's a made up thing. It's, it's a few, it's, it's a few, it's total value of all future cash flows, but um, like that can change very quickly. And I'm not saying like, I'm not downplaying it. It's absolutely a huge thing, but yeah, derivatives are crazy. They, they, uh, they don't know how to, how to count them. They don't know how to track them. Um, that's, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. And uh, yeah, but regardless, we're talking again, how small, Bitcoin is compared to this stuff. I mean, 80 trillion, I'll, I'll definitely read this, but um, the derivatives are way, I mean, you could have a quadrillion dollars of global derivatives. No one really knows. And it, it's insane. It's crazy. Um, well, the question it's, it's, is it's, it's like, the legacy financial system has done to us. Yeah. Well, right? that, I get, legacy financial system. Well, I think that's where the big question what is. is. That, uh, so there's a total credit. I'm sure it's M2 plus I can't quite read it, but, uh, on the right, the green chart, what are the two shaded green boxes on the right? I know one of those has got to be like total credit and or M2. No, no, you were on it. What? Can you read it, Marty? The green? I can't read it. There we go. On and off balance sheet debt and then on and off balance sheet debt for non-US banks. For corporates or? For U.S. Bank. banks and non-U.S. Okay. Non banks. Yeah. I wonder what they're defining as off balance sheet debt. Uh, I, I presume it's derivative. So, uh, well, that's a quite like, I'm, does, is there like an FTT like situation happening in, yeah. in the traditional financial space where yes, yeah, it's $80 trillion of notional value, but are these banks able to use that notional value as collateral to take out other positions? No, uh, absolutely. And they absolutely do. They love levering that shit up. So again, it's a uh, caveat emptor. Do not believe any of these people. You don't have to custody your own coins. That's the main lesson as always. Uh, but um, not financial advice, of course. But, uh, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, what did I want to just say to this? No, um, here's another big number. Here's another big number is uh, one of the things I'm tracking is I'm, I'm trying to reconstruct which is proving pretty difficult, but I'm, I'm trying to reconstruct for, for this, this, these charts and this chart engine that I'm telling you about that I'm going to start doing uh, videos on probably at the start of next year. Uh, the, the M3 money supply hasn't been calculated by the United States Federal Reserve since February of 2006. M3 money supply, they started to cut that off. That was the broadest money supply. It'd give you kind of the best view of the most liquid dollars that were out there. And again, the vast, there, there is a little bit of physical currency, which is base money, which is real money as far as like real ultimate asset, which no one 
you theoretically can hold that and it'd be your asset and your lab, your, your equity as well. So, uh, that is included as well. That's, that's called M zero and any, any cash that's outside of the central bank and bank vaults. But then there's all the other stuff, right? So the deposits, money market, mutual funds, which is basically like the fiat version of a stable coin. Um, uh, all of the depo time deposit accounts, savings accounts, all the accounts that companies have, businesses, private individuals, all the rest. So you have these liquid money supply measures. And the Fed is just horrible at measuring this. Like they've, they've changed the definition of M1 due to regulations. It's almost basically the same thing as M2. And so many people have been confused. You might have seen it. Like if you look at an M1 chart, like it just goes like this. And like two years ago, it just goes like straight up and then it goes over. They, they just, they didn't even reclassify it. They didn't make it historically comparable it's basically they just turned it into m2 because they changed some regulatory laws and people think that actually increased that much it's just but the fed is so stupid for like putting a chart out like that on their website but anyway <laughs> they don't they don't none of this stuff is is easy to calculate and um again i know we're all about bitcoin and too but if, if you do talk about a liquid asset that is easy to calculate i'm not sure how secure it is but but a stable coin actually is easy to calculate so it is a challenge uh, it is a it is a competitor to the incumbent system. Nonetheless, um, I want to recreate an M3 money supply just to see how it will go because a lot of the data is still there. It's still published by the Federal Reserve. It's just in weird pieces. They don't they don't have it. You gotta you gotta sort of dig to find it. Euro dollars are not there, so that's a, that's a problem. Like Euro dollars are very difficult. We'll leave that aside. But it, even if I were doing M3 without Euro dollars, there would still be something. Still be something. But a big piece of the M3 money supply that is um, that is uh, not calculated today, it's not even clear, it's not transparent, is, is this repurchase agreements. So repurchase agreements are these very, very, they can be very short-term or sort of mid-term loans. We know that there was a big problem with the repo market in September of 2019, conveniently just before COVID and all the rest. It was kind of a papered over a uh, huge spike in the federal funds rate. And it's, it's a very sensitive market. But basically, when all these banks and, and not just banks, it'd be pension funds, hedge funds, whatever they have. They want to sort of make their capital ratios adequate. They might need to scramble at the last minute to have a high quality asset, which is a, at least typically known, traditionally known as the uh, United States government bond, uh, treasury bond, right? Which I like to call, you know, risk, uh, return free risk, but most people call the risk free return. Um, obviously we know that that's changing everything, but Point is, there are repos that the Federal Reserve is involved in. Those are, those are part of the bank reserve amount. It's not the full amount. It's part of the bank reserve. It's part of the monetary bank. But then there are a lot of repos that um, banks are not even – and so those repos, the banks are always involved, and they kind of mirror the, what the bank is doing. But there are repos that pension funds do, hedge funds, uh, broker-dealers, people that don't aren't able to hold deposits like normal banks. They do repos as well. Is that a product Contracting of – the reaction to September 2019, because I remember the Fed expanded the facilities. It was that... high. It was high in the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it spiked a lot, and then it went down, and it was trying to come down, down, down. It's actually very flat when that spike happened in the rates. So, I don't know the full postmortem on that, but it's. I mean, there's. I, I know that. Uh, that's a that's another show probably to go through it, but but I would say. Um, it was extremely, it was at an all time low and they were trying, just like they're trying to bring the monetary base down. They were trying to bring the repo level down that the federal reserve was involved in at that time. And then the blow up happened. So 
you know, they just, they had to intervene again, basically. But it, it was higher than that, than it, it had been higher before. It's not like it just happened after that. But anyway, the point is it's, it's screaming again. It's high. They only publish this data quarterly. The one I track, um, I don't have it off the top of my head. It's something 207. I think if you, uh, dear listener or uh, watcher want to actually track it yourself, it's a L207, maybe account and they track or purchase agreements, but it's all unorganized. Like they have assets, liabilities. Cause what the repo is basically is it becomes the security moves, but the, since we're not, you know, we don't want to double count money, right? So we're not talking about deposits, we're not tying deposits with the rest. We're talking about the security itself kind of becomes like money. It's like, I need to hold the security. So just give me the security. So they literally, the broker dealer, someone will give the transfer the security over. Someone will have the new security. So they have it, but it's actually a liability. That's the repo. They need to pay it back. And the person that gave them the security has the asset. That's a reverse repo. But anyway, it doesn't matter. They're supposed to mirror and match. And it's, it's, it's the reverse repos will always equal repos theoretically. But here's the thing. They have a, uh, they have a column on their account in this exhibit, which shows like discrepancies in the account, <laughs> discrepancies in the accounting of the repo, uh, because they're counting assets that are reverse repos and, and liabilities, which are repos and repos are typically, which we call as like a new type of, not a new type of money, but a type of kind of liquid money, money like, which is counted, yeah. It's but it's basically securities that are flowing through the bank system. So we'll, we'll end here. But but the point is, the max number that I've been counting from this chart of all of those repos is something like, and this does not include uh, Fed funds. It's not include the stuff that the banks are doing. That would be double counting the monetary base. But it's something like four trillion, four oh, trillion dollars. Gets up to like seven trillion if you count the Fed funds in there in the repo market. It's like four, five trillion, but the the discrepancy is like two hundred, three hundred billion now. So they just they literally have. Hold on, let me just pull it up really quick just to see it. They have on their report a discrepancy between reverse repos and repos that they can't even count up themselves. That's now two hundred, three hundred billion. So you talk about like just put that in perspective, all right? Trillions in repos, no one you know, no one knows when that will crash that market again, uh, and hundreds of billions which they can't even count themselves. And you know, this drama over this moron with losing ten billion, you know, it just it just shows you how insane the financial market really is. <laughs> yeah, that's like a five percent discrepancy, potentially more. If it's on the yeah. higher end there, it can be even higher than that. Um, I just want to make sure I give you the right number because I was looking at that just uh, today, actually, for something. Oh, where did this three hundred billion dollars go? Oh, we don't know. Yeah, it got up. It was up to four hundred billion last quarter. This quarter was two hundred eighty-eight billion. The discrepancy. Um. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, yeah, I would say, I would say non non bank non Federal Reserve repos, something like four trillion, four. Four trillion dollars and and uh, yeah, 200, 200 billion of that, so five percent, something like that, could be a discrepancy that the Federal Reserve, on its own reporting, can't even count, can't even count up the, the difference because all reverse repos should should equal repos, and they're trying to count this 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 transaction that occurs between companies to transfer these securities around these these it's just treasury securities, and they can't they can't, can't add it up. How does that not happen so, automatically? Well, it's a legacy system. Yeah. This is, yeah, how, how does, how do we not know what, you know, this 
you know, gross moron in the Bahamas is doing. I mean, let's just say I mean, he's he's got a cryptographic company. You know, it's just like this is this is why it's never going to work, man. It's never like proof of reserves, all this stuff. I mean, again, I don't want to be too fatalist with that. There's there's you know, it's always improvements to make, but you want you want proof of reserves. You've got to hold your own keys. You've got to hold your own keys. Agreed. Bitcoin does the accounting roughly every ten minutes, and you can check the budget, baby. Balances the budget every ten minutes. It's don't uh, about, you don't have to worry about commingling of funds. Which is <laughs> a stupid term anyway. If I hadn't made that clear, you hold your keys. You produce an XPUB. You send Bitcoin to one of those addresses, and then you just yeah. spin up a full node and check. Hey, my Bitcoin's still in that address. That's good. By the way, I know everyone has XPUBs and exchanges and hot wallets, but. Uh, I doubt that they have like a separate ledger for you with a cold storage XPUB sitting yeah. in a box. No, it's not <laughs> for the cold for the cold storage comp- component, right? It's it's all it's all commingled. There's no just from a logistical standpoint. That doesn't even like. Could you imagine if you have hundreds of clients, let alone thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions? Like it's just yeah, logistically. Impossible. It doesn't work it that way. It never, has, it never has worked in that way with any institution. It can't. It can't. And it's, it's not a problem. It's not, I'm not saying it's fraudulent. I'm just saying we have, a, we have an escape hatch now. We have a different way of sort of interacting with the financial world that we never had before, which is incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. Meeting with you quarterly is incredible as well. I love these, these reps. And now we have new right, data to look right. at and to track. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for letting me show that off. Uh, I hope to improve it, and uh, maybe we can, we can, yeah, revisit some videos next quarter. Yeah, no, I'm very ex- excited to see where the price is, and where the uh, more importantly, where the power trend line is next time we meet. Um, where should we send the freaks? Uh, Porkopolis.io. Workopolis.io. That is the uh, that is the site. You got the base money updates. Uh, the podcast is there. Crypto, uh, the uh, Crypto Voices podcast, um, and and uh, I've I literally for those who have been paying attention, I've been saying this for about a year, but it's finally coming. We'll have this new sort of stream, this new kind of uh, new kind of interfacing with uh, with my listeners and I guess viewers now. We'll start doing some videos, so I'm looking forward to that. That's Hell coming yeah. uh, start of next year. Grow your no freaks. Go follow Porkopolis. Follow Matthew. You're going to get smarter. You're going to understand base money better. You're going to understand the global financial system better. And he's going to keep beating the number one rule of Bitcoin into your brain day in and day out, which is the only proof of reserves that you can have full confidence in is holding your own keys. Until next time. I appreciate it, brother. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Peace and love, freaks.